Today is October 23, 2020. The Senate Judiciary Committee votes to advance Amy Coney Barrett's nomination to the full Senate. Barack Obama tears into Trump in a fiery speech. And the last presidential debate goes down. Welcome back. It is Casual Friday here on Split the Difference Podcast. We're keeping it cash. We're having fun. We're looking at stuff from the left. We're looking at stuff from the right. We're having us a good old time. And guys, I'm serious. This is the best podcast yet. I I don't even know. I'm pretty sure that no other podcast has been better than this one so far. Just going to throw it out there. You guys, it's up to y'all to decide if that's true or not. But if this is the first time that you're joining in with us, let me give you my spiel. So we are a political podcast here at Split the Difference. We like to look at both sides of the aisle as best we can. We examine things on the left, examine things on the right, and try our best to try and find a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of that sweet truth that usually lies there in the middle. Um, we're not going to not have opinions here on Split the Difference podcast, but we are going to be level-headed, reasonable, and understand that all of the division in the world doesn't have to be that way. We can unify and we can have a good time while doing it. So, with all that having been said, let's jump on in to our story number one. So, first story. The final Senate Judiciary Committee vote tally in order to push Amy Coney Barrett over the edge and into the full Senate for her vote was completed on Thursday, 12 to 0. You heard it right, 12 to 0. There were zero votes that didn't want to confirm Amy Coney Barrett. Hmm, I wonder why that could be. Well, the Democrats all decided to (laughs) not come and to not appear. So they decided to protest the Republicans. This was after a long couple of weeks, which honestly, I thought, had been going really well. The Democrats had put up a lot of good points. They had questioned Amy Coney Barrett very well. They knew there wasn't really anything that they could do because the Republicans were pretty much swinging for the fences. There was nothing they could do to stop it. They were respectful. They went out of their way to make sure not to attack Amy Coney Barrett personally or uh, for any of her personal life or values. They did a really good job. And then... Here on the home stretch, right before going into the big, you know, the vote for the entire Senate, they decide to pull some huge theatrics, and honestly, it kind of made them look bad. So, um, basically, all of this is around, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, but the Democrats' huge argument against nominating and confirming Barrett is basically that they say that the Affordable Care Act and Roe versus Wade are in question because she's more of a conservative. Um, The theatrics by the Democrats basically comes as all the much more liberal left wing part of the left wing party um, came through and started really slamming all of the Democratic senators pretty, pretty hard that were in the Judiciary Committee. So let's hop in real quick. And uh, so this is, I guess, a preface to the video. This is Dianne Feinstein, who... As a ranking Democrat there in the Senate Judiciary Committee, she, I thought, carried herself very well, asked a lot of very good questions throughout the uh, process of Barrett being in uh, to the nomination. And this is her basically talking to Lindsey Graham and telling Lindsey Graham that she appreciates the way that he's carried himself and appreciates the way that uh, everything has been conducted so far. 
honestly, this kind of bipartisan stuff needs to happen much, much more often. Doesn't happen nearly as much as it should, but she got slammed for it by all of this far left wing of the Democratic Party. So let's hop in now and take a listen to uh, what went down. Mr. Chairman, I just want to thank you. Uh, this has been one of the best set of hearings that I've participated in. And I want to thank you for your fairness and the opportunity of going back and forth. It leaves one with a lot of hopes, a lot of questions, and even some ideas, perhaps some good bipartisan legislation thank we you. can put together to make this great country even better. So thank you thank so you. much for your leadership. Well, one, that means a lot to me, and, and I know we have very different views about the judge and whether we should be doing this or not. But having said all that, to my Democratic colleagues, um, you have challenged the judge, you've challenged us, and I accept those challenges as being sincere and not personal. Uh, I don't think anybody crossed the line with the judge in terms of trying to demean her as a person. Uh, so that is uh, Feinstein talking to Lindsey Graham, who is the chair of the J Senate Judiciary Committee. Both of them, but especially Feinstein, showed a pretty rare moment of bipartisan unity and honestly just bipartisan respect. It's obviously something that needs to happen much more often, hence Split the Difference podcast. That's the whole reason why I wanted to make this, because I want to see more unity on both sides of the aisle. Well, needless to say, she got slammed for this by the far left. I mean, I, they absolutely ripped her to shreds. And it's pretty sad because it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, there's nothing wrong with, as a Democrat, admitting that a Supreme Court justice that or a Supreme Court justice nomination was handled well because the other party was, you know, was in charge and they ran things decently. There's nothing wrong with admitting that as a Democrat. The fact that she got hit for that is absolutely ridiculous. But uh, Mitch McConnell, so Mitch McConnell, the head basically of of all the Senate, he's pretty much the guy that runs the show, head dog Republican. He is planning on, or people are expecting him, to keep the Senate in session over the entire weekend. Extremely rare move, but it's basically done in order to keep the Democrats from delaying things anymore. Um, after seeing what the Democrats did on Thursday, which they basically didn't show up, but and they did kind of show up because they uh, put cardboard cutouts of people with health problems, and they just sat them all around the room. For where the here from where the Senate Judiciary vote would be taking place. So, basically, what the Democrats were saying is, we're not going to participate in this. We're not going to cast our votes at all. We don't think it, that any of this process is worth us showing up at all. Uh, we're just going to try and have you know some type of big soundbite or a big clip that we can play to be able to say that we're you know rising above and we're the moral we're the moral betters here. Honestly, not a good look for the Democrats. And, you know, obviously there may be some Democrats that uh, I think that's good or had appreciated it, but really not a good Democrat, not, not, a, move, not a good move by the Democrats there. Um, at the end of the day, the truth is there's nothing really that the Democrats could have done to stop this. The Republicans have all of the control in the Senate. They have it on the Senate Judiciary Committee. This is who they want to push through. If they want to push this through at the expense of other bills that need, can and should be pushed through, then that's what the that's on the on the Republicans, right? Like, 
the Democrats and Feinstein were playing it right when they were basically just sitting back and being like, everybody see the Republicans just running roughshod over the entire process right now, pushing this through as fast as they can. They don't care about your stimulus checks. They don't care about all these things that need to get done uh, and legislated in the Senate. All they care about is trying to push through a conservative justice. When the Democrats were saying that, it sounded really good. When they're putting cardboard cutouts of random people in, in the actual committee meeting where there's supposed to be a vote, not showing up to vote and just doing all this theatrics, like that's the kind of stuff that made a lot of people extremely frustrated when the whole Brett Kavanaugh hearings and everything went down. So I've said before on this podcast that by acting with decorum, I think that the Democrats were going to end up doing themselves a huge benefit. But at the very end, honestly, I think it was incredibly disrespectful for them to walk out like that. And I don't think that's a crazy opinion to have. That's disrespectful to Amy Coney Barrett, who has shown nothing but respect for them. That's disrespectful to the Republicans that are sitting in there and showing up, actually wanting to vote. Um, And they could have at least had their votes count. Right here before election, them not showing up and not voting at all. That's just uh, honestly not. I wasn't a big fan of it. Obviously, I wasn't. So anyways, blow through that story. It wasn't the biggest story in the world. So let's go ahead and head on over to our story number two. So story number two, Barack Obama goes after Trump in a fiery speech. I mean, this was right back to 2007, 2008, Barack Obama. He was coming after it. He was throwing haymakers on Trump and he sounded really good. Honestly, (laughs) Barack Obama was out there killing it. So Uh, We finally are starting to see the Obamas hit the campaign trail for Biden. They have played it very, very relaxed so far on all this, which really has kind of been surprising to me. If anything, it's kind of seemed like Obama really isn't a big fan or he doesn't necessarily think that Joe Biden can do it or can pull it out. Or now that he's coming in so late, the only reason he's doing it is because he just really doesn't like Trump. It's kind of been weird to see how far, how how long the Obamas have held out. But obviously, I think it was probably all calculated. They wanted to wait until the very end to hopefully try and give Biden a little bit of a push. But his silence in a lot of ways, I don't know, to me kind of seemed like he wasn't super confident in Biden. But I digress. So Barack Obama was back in action on Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday night. I mean, just throwing hands at Trump. He was lefts and rights. He was coming in hard for him. So let's go ahead and hop in and take a quick look at some of the highlights of that. Uh, because it was, I mean, I'm, it, was, it was quite the video. So let's go ahead and hop in and take a look at this now. I know that he continues to do business with China because he's got a secret Chinese bank account. How is that possible? How is that possible? A secret Chinese bank account. Listen, can you imagine if I had had a secret Chinese bank account? You think Fox News might have been a little concerned about that? They would have called me Beijing Barry. But you know what? The job doesn't work that way. Tweeting at the television doesn't fix things. Making stuff up doesn't make people's lives better. You've got to have a plan. You've got to put in the work. Donald Trump isn't suddenly going to protect all of us. He can't even take the basic steps to protect himself. Just last night, he complained up in Erie that the pandemic made him go back to work. I'm quoting here. He was was upset that the pandemics made him go back to work. If he'd actually been working the whole time, it never would have gotten this bad. And with Joe and Kamala at the helm, you're not going to have to think about 
the crazy things they said every day. And that's worth a lot. You're not going to have to argue about them every day. It just won't be so exhausting. You, you might be able to have a Thanksgiving dinner without having an argument. You'll be able to go about your lives knowing that the president is not going to retweet conspiracy theories. Right. So uh, Barack Obama comes after Trump hard there. He gives basically a lot of different reasons why Trump is bad. So he talks about how Trump is crazy, about how Trump does uh, bad things and tweets crazy things, about how now in our lives everything is so bipartisan and everything is so political that you can't even have a Thanksgiving dinner with your family without having some type of argument. Uh, he talks about how Trump at a previous campaign rally within the last day or so has said that uh, the pandemic happening made him have to go back to work. And that actually was quoting Donald Trump. So uh, he comes after him and comes after him hard. And the big thing here, I guess two big takeaways. One, I don't care who you are, Barack Obama can speak. <laughs> the man can bring it. And there is I mean, it is totally obvious why Democrats and why, you know, he won two elections in a row. Because he's very, very good at, at presenting himself. He's good at, at, he's an eloquent speaker. And that's not something that American people are very used to from either Biden or Donald Trump. Um, honestly, it was kind of kind of refreshing a little bit to see, <laughs> see somebody that was standing up on stage that uh, was putting together completely cohesive sentences and wasn't just running the other person, uh, just saying a bunch of ridiculous stuff that honestly wasn't even coherent or didn't really even make sense. So I feel like I've just gotten used to listening to both Pre President Trump and Vice President Biden, who just honestly, they're tough to follow most of the time. So uh, just for reference here, here was Trump's response to all of this. Uh, Trump basically came back and, and hit by or hit uh, uh, Obama back um, in his campaign rally uh, not not shortly long after. So let's take in and look at, listen to this. President Obama is campaigning for Sleepy Joe Biden, and I said, "Huh, that's good news or bad news? Tell me, are you saying it's good or it's bad?" Well, I guess it's bad. No, it's good. There was nobody that campaigned harder for crooked Hillary Clinton than Obama, right? He was all over the place. He said, he will not be our president. But before that, he said, he will not run. He didn't know me. Then I ran. Then he said, he will not get the nomination. Then I got the nomination. Then he said, he will not be our president. Then I won. I think the only one, the only one more unhappy than crooked Hillary that night was Barack Hussein Obama. All right, so uh, that's Trump basically sitting there and uh, firing back at Obama. And he came back at Obama pretty hard, too. Um, but for the most part, he's just kind of per usual Donald Trump talking in circles. You know, he's saying a whole bunch of incoherent stuff. But, all right, and this is a big but here. This is a big but. Uh, Trump knows what he's doing here a little bit, all right? And this may be, I guess, a little bit of a controversial, I, I don't know. I think Donald Trump knows what he's doing. Most people like to swing back and forth, and he mentions that actually later on in the speech, but most people swing back and forth wildly between whether Donald Trump is a mad genius or he's just a, a stupid buffoon. He has no idea what he's doing, no idea what he's saying. Well, I, you, can't, you either got to have one or the other, all right? Honestly, I think that Donald Trump is a pretty smart guy, all right? As much as people may hate him, Donald Trump knows what he's doing, and he knows how to play his base. 
when he was sitting here and he was saying that Donald or that Barack Obama said that he wasn't going to run and then he ran that he wasn't going to get the nomination and then he got the nomination and that he'd never win president but then he won the presidency that's a big slap in the face to Obama and it's a big slap in the face to the huge Democratic Party establishment that basically is taken to just attacking Trump any chance that they can get. So Donald Trump knows what he's doing here. He's firing up his base. Um, he, he knows that there's people showing up to those rallies and they're listening to these rallies and they're hearing what he's saying. And he's basically like, listen, everybody's doubted me all along, but I've come through and I've picked the country up and I've done all the things that I said that I wanted to do. Um, so I, when you see, when you look at Trump, and you see how he carries himself, and you see the thing that he sings that he says. The question isn't whether or not that it appeals to people, because it absolutely appeals to people. The question is whether or not it will appeal to more than just his base. And that's where Trump has to be able to pick up the votes if he wants to be able to win in November. And I don't necessarily mean uh, people that were going to be voting for Biden, because for the most part, a lot of people have kind of stuck their claim in the ground and they, they really kind of know where it is that they're going to vote. But there are absolutely people that are sitting right now looking at it and saying, I don't really want to go vote because I don't necessarily like either of these two candidates very much. So I think, honestly, there's probably going to be some pretty record low voting turnout in 2020, kind of in the same way that in 2016, there was very, very low voting turnout. And I also think there could be some record high third party voting as well if Trump is not able to get in and convince people outside of his base that are to act to go out and to cast their votes for him. I mean, Trump, if he's not able to do it, there's no way he's going to be able to flip a lot of these swing states and especially not going to be able to catch up in a lot of states that he's pretty hard, far behind on. Um but just to Trump I guess just to touch on a little bit with what Barack Obama was saying. So in the video, you could hear Barack Obama kind of making his pitch, right? Uh, you want to be able to go back to when times were normal. Don't you remember back four or five years ago when I was president and Joe Biden was the vice president? Things were normal. Things were okay. Things weren't crazy like they are right now. That's his pitch. That's Biden's pitch. He's the return to normalcy. If Donald Trump is able to stand up like he did in his speech and basically be like, Listen, things weren't normal then. You just think that they're, they were normal. Or you just look back on those days and maybe you can't remember them very well. What's really normal is us making America great again. We want to go back to the normal from before Barack Obama. We want things to be different and we want things to be better. If Donald Trump's able to convince people not just in his base but a little bit outside of his base that, that he's going to do well. If Joe Biden, I, I don't know, it's tough for me to look at Joe Biden's pitch of like a return to normalcy and be like, this is a great pitch for the American people. Although I'm sure that there are plenty of people that that appeals to because all of us really are kind of tired of all the craziness every day. Joe Biden's just obviously got to be able to convince people that he's going to be able to be the one to bring us back to that level of, all right, everything's going to be okay. So uh, with that being said, let's go ahead and hop on into our story number three, because I think that's going to be where we need to spend the majority of our time. So story number three was the final presidential debate. I'm sure that you guys, just like me, were staying up late last night, just chomping at the bit ready to watch that final presidential debate because you just knew that this one was going to be different. There was going to be a change in the air. Donald Trump and, you know, Vice President Biden were going to be able to stand there 
talk back and forth about the real issues that we all care about, not make personal attacks about each other's family, not talk about random things that not a lot of people don't, you know, care a whole lot about. And, you know, they would also just talk about the policy issues. They would get down to the, to the nitty gritty of the matter, right? That's what we all thought was going to happen. Well, did it happen that way? No, definitely not. This was pretty much the same thing as last time, although I will say they were both much more respectful. And I will also say that uh, Welker, the moderator, did a very good job. I thought going into it that she was going to be, and she is extremely, you know, much more left-wing, much more democratic. I thought that she was going to be much, much harder on Trump. But of the the debate that I saw last night, I honestly thought that she did a decent job. At one point, Trump actually said, listen, you're doing a really great job. I really appreciate it. That's not something Trump says very often about anybody that's on the left side of the aisle. So um, I was going to sit down and play a whole bunch of clips and analyze the clips and just chop them all up and go back and forth. But honestly... It really wasn't worth it. It's not a lot of stuff that most of us don't already know. Most of it wasn't talking about policy and the differences between their policy prescriptions about how to solve stuff. It was pretty much uh, Joe Biden, Joe, the story about Joe Biden and uh, Joe Biden's son Hunter, and uh, how Donald Trump is basically now saying that uh, Joe Biden is corrupt, that he has corruption in the White House, that uh, he was basically, you know, taking all this money from Russia and from the Ukraine and. Uh, Joe Biden was then saying the same thing about Donald Trump and they just went back and forth and back and forth on it. So there weren't a ton of big highlights. It was pretty much both of them kind of just trying to stay on their own message, which I do think both of them did pretty well. Trump came out and was basically like, you guys don't want all of that same old Joe that was in there. Joe Biden has been in office for 47 years and he hasn't been able to accomplish any of these things that he says that he's going to accomplish. Joe Biden has also been in office for 47 years and has flip-flopped back and forth multiple times on issues that are incredibly important to us as voters. So he, uh, he brought up he brought up, for example, fracking. He, he talked about fracking a lot. He also, Trump, uh, had a video made about fracking when he was in Pennsylvania last week, uh, basically asking questions to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris about whether or not fracking would, they would want to outlaw fracking. And Joe Biden being on camera, basically being like, yeah, of course I'd want to, you know, get rid of, you know, get rid of fracking. I don't want fracking anymore. But then when he's talking to Pennsylvania, he says that, you know, he does want fracking. So, Another example is uh, healthcare. Uh, he's Joe Biden has kind of gone back and forth. He's I, Joe Biden. I don't think has ever openly says said that he wants socialized healthcare. Right, that's something now that he's really pushing against uh, because America doesn't want socialism. But uh, Kamala Harris absolutely came back, came out and said that she wanted Medicare for all. She wanted total socialization of healthcare, and then had to kind of walk that back when she realized that the electorate wasn't that wasn't that left-leaning. So President Trump's whole argument here, right, basically was Joe Biden isn't nearly as moderate as he says that he is. He wants to socialize healthcare and medicine. He wants to get rid of fracking. He wants to, he wants to buy into this far-left portion of the Democratic Party, and I'm here to try and stop that because I don't think that Joe Biden, or that we should have a president at all that is moving towards this all-out leftism, right? It was also almost kind of as if like Trump was fighting against like this cultural 
leftism that is kind of moving or cultural democratic side that is moving in, which is interesting because in, I guess throughout the past 40 or 50 years, it's normally been the Republicans that have jumped up and down and said like, oh, the, the economic plans and the, what's going on with money is the most important. But now it's kind of seems like Trump is really riling his base up around the fact that like, all of the political correctness culture and all of the cancel culture and all of the uh, saying that America is horrible, all of that culture is something that we have to push back against. And that's where I want to like stake my claim as this, you know, Republican elector, you know, the person that you're going to be putting into the presidency, Uh, which is, which is interesting because, you know, Joe Biden, his big argument against Donald Trump is that like his deficit with China has actually grown more. He's spent more money than most pre- than presidents in the past. Like that, you know, Donald Trump really, in a lot of ways, it's not as much of a cultural argument or a social argument as much as it is Donald Trump is. His uh, his economy isn't nearly as good for the everyday American as. Um, as Donald Trump claims that it is. So, and we'll get onto that a little bit more when we kind of talk through Biden, but. Donald Trump was in peak Donald Trump fashion. He honestly wasn't interrupting Joe Biden nearly as much as he was in the last debate. I think that he realized that that was a really bad look and he cleaned it up. Good for you, Donald Trump. That really needed to happen. All of us were really tired of the whole interrupting thing. That was horrible. So, um, he of course gets asked about his tax returns, of course gets asked about Russia, and Donald Trump basically was like, listen, I'll roll out my tax returns when I'm not an under audit anymore. Um, he brought up the fact that Donald, that he was under uh, investigation by the Mueller team, and he was like, basically, you, you know, uh, I, what did he say? He said, I was put through a phony witch hunt with a team of 18 angry Democrats. <laughs> that spied on my campaign and spent $48 million and they found no collusion and nothing wrong. That is a decent argument on Trump's side because that's pretty much what happened, okay? they they The only thing that they ended up really kind of getting Trump on was, you know, obstruction of justice, but they didn't actually charge Trump with anything. Like, they... basically Mueller was like, you could maybe kind of possibly go after Trump for obstruction of justice, which is a very, very loose charge, right? So, um, they really didn't find anything. The only thing that they found was that Russia did in fact, uh, attack American elections in 2016, which nobody was necessarily denying, right? Like in the very beginning, nobody was really denying that Russia probably came in and tampered with the United States elections because they do that in elections all over the world. It was, did Trump collude purposefully with Russia? So, uh, you know, he went back and forth with Joe Biden about that. Um, Honestly, there wasn't a ton there. Joe Biden, from what I heard, didn't get a ton of big punches in on Trump. Trump didn't get a lot of big punches in on Biden. It was really just them kind of, I feel like they're almost kind of getting used to one another. Um, the, the point that I feel like Donald Trump kind of lost was on health care. Um, it did seem like Trump, and ha- Trump has for the past four years, not really had an answer on health care. He basically, you know, kind of talked through getting rid of the individual mandate in Obamacare and uh, trying to open up for more transparency so that people know the costs they're getting from from hospitals and stuff. But he didn't really have an answer as to like, well, what what are you going to do going forward? Like you say that you want to get rid of Obamacare and you say that you want to replace it. Okay, if that's your plan, like then what like what are some specific things that you think 
are good about Obamacare or bad about Obamacare that like need to be repealed and replaced? And like, what are you going to replace it with? Because I think that Americans realize right now, you can't just go through and just wipe out the entirety of a healthcare system and then be like, okay, it's fine. You can't do that because there has to be something in place to be able to, uh, to be able to kind of piece together the things that are going to fall apart as a result to Obamacare uh, being pulled away. I mean, Obamacare is so intricately intertwined throughout the entirety of the healthcare system in the United States right now. If you were to go through and repeal it, there would be some massive holes there. So Joe Biden realized that and talked about this. So we can go ahead and hop in, I guess, to Joe Biden a little bit and kind of talk through the places where I think that he did well, things that maybe not so well. So I think the place where Joe Biden shined a little bit was healthcare. Um, it's, it's clear. I think if you look at polling data and if you look at, um, if you look at, I guess, sentiment in America, people, I don't necessarily like, I don't think the majority of Americans are like super bought in on Obamacare. Like they're so attached to it that they feel like they have to have it. It's, it's clear that most Americans like and want to keep their private insurance. So they definitely don't want total socialization of healthcare, but most Americans, I don't necessarily think have a huge problem with Obamacare. They wouldn't have a huge problem with seeing it go, but I think mostly people just want the healthcare system in America fixed, right? And so Joe Biden is basically saying that he wants to come in, create a government-run public option, and he wants to allow people to, to be able to keep their own healthcare, they get it through work, if they like it. And uh, he was basically coming out and saying, like, listen, I don't want socializ- total socialization of healthcare. I don't believe in socialism. Socialism is not the way that we need to go. Uh, we want to be able to come in and basically just provide a government-run public option for the people that are on the lowest tiers and the lowest totem poles of our society. Um, and Donald Trump, you know, was basically his hit back against that was, you're saying that that's not socialism, but that is socialism. Having a government-run option is the literal definition of a socialist-run program, right? It, it is a it is a program paid for through the taxes by the public and is issued and rolled out by the government. That is a socialist policy. Donald Trump's not wrong there. That's 100% correct. But what Joe Biden is saying is like, I'm not pushing for Medicare for all. And he said, and he said that he wants to roll out Biden care. So Biden care and what he called it would basically be you're automatically enrolled in the government option if you can't afford it. He says that he supports private insurance. Nobody will lose it. He supports private health care. No one will lose it. Uh, he doesn't support a socialist plan. Um, some of that is, you know, pretty confusing because I guess it, it is a government run sort of half socialist type plan, but he basically was like, it's going to cost money. It's going to cost $700 billion over the next 10 years, but it will be well worth it. And this is, you know, kind of the pitch coming from a lot of the left side of the aisle and coming from Joe Biden. That's the pitch coming out of his tax plan is basically, yes, your taxes, taxes for some Americans are going to increase, but it's only going to increase if you are, you know, in the top percentile of Americans making $400,000 and more over, uh, over the course of the entire year in income. You know, that's how we're going to be able to raise the taxes. And we're going to basically just bump up government spending through the roof for the next 10 years. Um, and he also had a whole lot more of come on. Like, I don't know. That's, that's just Joe Biden's thing now. Just come on. I don't know why, but that's just, he just, he really nails that every single time. Um, the other thing, I, I think the point 
Um, so I think that Joe Biden did actually decently well in healthcare because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of misconstruing that Republicans have done about his health care plan. Yes, he wants to expand Obamacare, but he doesn't want to push for Medicare for all like a lot of the Democrats do. So I understand, I guess, maybe the Republican push against that because it is one step closer to, you know, a more socialized health care plan run by the government. But it is definitely not this full all out socialized Medicare for all. Right. So I think Joe Biden did a good job of kind of like leaning into that a little bit more and, you know, pushing against socialism. I think that's going to help him. Um, on the other side of the aisle, so, uh, or I guess on the other side, uh, the thing, place where I think Joe Biden didn't do well is all this controversy that's going on right now with his son, uh, Hunter Biden. So uh, Donald Trump was in full, I mean, full bore, ready to go, ready to attack him on that. And uh, a lot of it is because I feel like Republicans and Trump feel like they haven't had their voice heard on this. I mean, with Twitter and Facebook kind of basically cutting the story out, it's gotten coverage, but almost only on right-wing sites. So Trump came after him pretty hard. Biden didn't really have a lot of answers outside of, well, that's not true. You know, this this stuff just isn't true, blah, blah, blah. So um, Trump hit Biden pretty hard on that, and I, I don't think that it made Biden look great. So... Um, but Joe Biden said over and over that my son wasn't doing any, anything unethical. I wasn't doing anything unethical. You know, we've been, we've been, uh, we've had people come in and, uh, basically look at the entirety of our dealings and everything's fine. They've never really found any unethical activity. So take that for what you will. Honestly, at this point, I think that it's just a nothing story that'll probably go away after November 3rd. Nobody's going to really care about it all that much anymore. It's just like every other story that comes out trying to attack a president right before election or vice president or whatever a nominate, nominee is or candidate is right before they go into the election. Just kind of stereotypical stuff of what we have in our politics right now, unfortunately. So uh, if we're looking at who won the debate, uh, what were the big takeaways... I don't necessarily think that either of them won the debate in a traditional sense, right? But I do think that this debate actually looked a little bit better for Donald Trump. And the only reason I say that is not because I think that Donald Trump necessarily debated better or had better points, but he didn't embarrass himself like he did last time. And that goes a really long ways. Donald Trump, during the last debate, the only thing anybody could talk about was how incredibly annoying and obnoxious it was to sit there and listen to him talk. This time around, he was a bit more respectful. He didn't constantly interrupt the moderator or constantly interrupt Joe Biden. It made him look like he actually had his head on straight a little bit, and he was there to try, prepared, trying to make sure that his message got out. That's a much better look than the crazy dude standing on the side of the stage trying to you know, beat Joe Biden over the head with a stick. So... I think it made I made it made Trump look a little bit better for sure. He was able to kind of get on his agenda, stay on his agenda, and just you know kind of roll through a lot of the stuff that he needed to be able to talk through. And uh, it was a good look for him. Joe Biden didn't necessarily have a lot of the talking points that he did. He stumbled over his words a lot. Um, and I, you know I don't think that Joe Biden necessarily did bad. But at the end of the day, it's one of those things where it's like if you were voting for Trump beforehand, you're still voting for him. If you were voting for Biden beforehand, you're still voting for him. I don't know that it was an extremely consequential debate. Sorry to report, nothing crazy happened last night. Um, so with all of that being said, we'll go ahead and wrap up story number three and head on in to Made Me Smile. This is my favorite segment of the show, and the Made Me Smile that I have today actually is really cool. It's a video um, done by two uh, two 
people that were running for governor out in Utah. Let's hop in and let's take us a look at this because honestly, it was really interesting. It was an ad that they did. I'm Chris Peterson. And I'm Spencer Cox. We are currently in the final days of campaigning against each other to be your next governor. And while I think you should vote for me. Yeah, but, but really you should vote for me. There are some things we both agree on. We can debate issues without degrading each other's character. We can disagree without hating each other. And win or lose in Utah, we work together. So let's show the country that there's a better way. My name's Chris Peterson. And I'm Spencer Cox. And we, we approve, approve this message. Awesome. So that's Chris Peterson and Spencer Cox. They are two people that are running for governor, I believe, out in Utah. And they came out with a joint commercial that got a lot of publicity over this past week. Uh, but basically, the, the premise of it is, yes, he's a Democrat. Yes, he's a Republican. But we don't have to hate each other. We don't have to attack each other personally or like attack each other's families. We don't have to say horrible things about each other. We can just debate issues, even though we disagree. And things are going to be all right. And they're basically going forward and like tapping into this, this sentiment in America that we're tired of the division and we're tired of the hate and the vitriol. Um, this is fantastic because obviously this is what I do right here on the show. This is what I like to look at. I like to be able to look at both sides of the aisle. I like for there to be some kind of type of common ground in the middle. So I thought this was fantastic. If you guys haven't checked out that commercial, go ahead and check it out. It's on Twitter. Uh, I think you can probably find it on YouTube and stuff as well. So go ahead over and check out that uh, commercial if you can. Um, definitely two candidates that I think are that's awesome, and that's what needs to be happening across the country. So with all that, that is the show. Thank you for tuning in and for checking us out. Had a great time putting this one together. Uh, if you have any questions or thoughts or feedback, please hit me up on social media. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm, I've got my website, uh, splitthedifference.com with one T, S-P-L-I-T-H-E, difference.com. Please check me out there. I'm on all the different podcast streaming platforms, and I'm also on YouTube as well. So please feel free to you know like, subscribe, uh, hit, give me a great five-star review if you can. It uh, definitely helps me out, definitely lets me know what you like and what you don't like. Appreciate you listening in, tuning in with me. Always remember, we're going to keep a level head, we're going to be reasonable, and we're going to always split the difference. This is Austin Taylor.